Okay, people, we are in part two of this week's Echo Chamber. And, yo, this is a great one, right? Because the best there is, the best there ever did it, AJ has stepped back for a moment into the game. And um, she hooked me up with this new film. And, people, you're going to love it and love the conversation we have from that. So, sit back and let's go. Okay, people, we're going to start off by looking at this new flick, and it's called The Winter House. Okay, people, so today we took a look at The Winter House. This is the new film from Keith Boynton, who wrote and directed. It is produced by Tony Glazer, line produced by Summer Crockett Moore. Michael Ford handled the music. Atia Mendibar, cinematography. Casting was Patricia McCorkle. Production design is Missy DePirio. Art direction is Lars Ealing Lund with Bethany Kelleher handling costume design. Hair and makeup is Nino Tavakalades. And the cast, we have Lily Taylor as Elaine. Jesse is played by Francisco Arnold. Arnold. Uh, Paul is played by Hunter Emery. Uh, Deborah is played by Beth Fowler. And the shop owner is played by Stephen C. Bradbury. So, you know, AJ may have moved on to higher things, but she hit me up with this film, right? She's still got her toes in the water, hit me up with this film. So, of course... I was going to take a look, right? The synopsis is Elaine is grieving. She needs to get away. She rents a house in a remote corner of New Hampshire in the dead of winter where no one is likely to bother her. But wouldn't you know, someone does. Jesse is a young, impetuous charismatic and evasive young man. He claims to be the son of the couple who own the house, but Elaine isn't inclined to believe him. She's a brilliant writer with her own demons and secrets, and she knows a fellow lost soul when she sees one. As the winter wears on in the lonely house at the edge of nowhere, Elaine and Jesse try to offer each other salvation both knowing full well that the opposite is far more likely. So, yeah, that's that's it. And, you know, this was really interesting, right? Because I think it starts off and, you know, we, we've got Elaine being shown the house, right? And she lets uh, Deborah know her attention. She wants to write. She's looking to be on her own, you know what I mean? Just for that freedom of mind to be able to concentrate and, uh, you know, detach from the world. 
so you think this is going to be this little intimate kind of self-discovery piece, right? Just, you know, nothing crazy. And so, yeah, that's what, that's what it seems. You know, she's getting about a day and boom, there's a noise in the middle of the night. Right, she goes downstairs, but doesn't take a gun. And we're like, yo, what? And there's the dude. Now, as soon as you, you see Jesse, because I think a lot of times it's about movement, right? It, it's about the intentions that you're putting into the world. So you know something isn't right. You know something isn't right. But it's, you know, there's no outward signs of aggression. So we're wondering what all of this is, you know, what all of this is. Now, what we do get from the introduction of Jesse is we get more information on who Elaine is, right? And we also learn a little bit about Jesse, you know? So, yeah, you, you find out, you know, she's she was married, you know, as I said, she's grieving. So all of this stuff, she's a she's an author. And you know, she even though it, it's kind of sold, she kind of downplays it, but it seems like she's pretty pop pretty successful, should I say. But we're watching this interplay between these two. Now a thing I did like, because a lot of times when we have things like this, you know, when someone's like, oh, you know, tell me about it. It's a long story, right? And then they're just like, okay. And then, but in reality, right, if that is you, right, if you are having those conversations, are you really going to let someone palm you off with bullshit? No. But in film, in TV, that is how it always goes. Not here, right? We see people get called out for, you know, just ridiculous statements and things like that. You know, when people try and drop something that clearly isn't true, there's, a, you know, they get called out. And I thought that was interesting. You know, I, I liked that aspect of the writing. There's other things that were going on, right, that I think at first I wasn't necessarily convinced by, just because when you look at, you know, the characters and everything like that, this is a bit like, I mean, are we, would that really, but the more the story goes on, the more events kind of, like, you see them from a different dimension. As I said, right, this felt like it was more of a little intimate piece. But it's funny how little things can change your perspective, right? Because there's a piece, a bit where Jesse reads a poem, reads it twice, right? And just the cadence in which he reads it, completely transforms the poem, right, completely, it's the cadence and it's just the, the, uh, the speed 
right? Completely changes it. And that added like something crazy to, to what we're watching. And then they go for a walk and you get this incredible view. And again, it added this new layer, this new depth to the story, which, you know, it might seem crazy, but people, trust me, watch it. And yeah, you, you get that kind of revelation as you're, you know, you're, you're viewing this, right? And so just through those couple of things, right, it's like we level up, you know, th this hidden door appears and you can see more into these characters, right? And then the events that follow, everything that follows, you're with it, right? You, you buy it more, which I thought was very, very, very interesting, you know? It's, again, we still get this writing, and it gets even rawer with revelations and truths that get thrown on us. And I think there is an honesty with this writing, right? It's very interesting from the fact that we often see it in reverse. This story would often be in reverse. Um, and yeah, the ages would be different. Like, it, yeah, we don't usually get it kind of this way around. So I think that's intriguing, right? The way this concludes, again, right? because you do wonder, how can this get tied up? Right, what, what's going to happen here? But there is a satisfaction with it. There is definitely a satisfaction with it, right? But you, you still understand there are a whole heap of secrets that we do not know. Because there's something that you see at the very beginning when Elaine is unpacking, which then plays into something that happens at the end right? But comments were made which kind of go, wait, hold on, you know? So it, it is a big thing that not everything that says is necessarily a truth, right? Not everything that says is necessarily a truth, you know, which is, uh, it's realistic, it's life. Right, because how long do these people know each other? You know, not that long, not that long. So it's just, it, it's an honest reality that, you know, even though people choose to open up to a degree, are they really going to drop every single piece of themselves on someone? You know what I mean? I thought the, the acting is really good. And of course it is going to be, right? Lily Taylor, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I just remember High Fidelity and Six Feet Under. Those are the things that really jump, you know, from the, those 
first time seeing Taylor do a thing. And then, you know, France, Francisco Arnold, you know, the Borgias, right? Which was a crazy show. So, you know, these people have got good acting chops. Beth Fuller, you know, she's been around. So it's just like, it has the potential on paper, but just because something has the potential on paper doesn't mean it always follows through. But boom, people, this one surely does, which is always a relief, right? It is always really good to know. <laughs> because how many times have we been let down? You know what I mean? And yeah, the writing, solid writing, you know, solid writing, the really good like the camera shots, man, just some of those views that we get to see and just, ah, uh, yeah, we we really do get a um, an intriguing story told to us, an intriguing story told to us, people, um, which is fantastic, you know, it is fantastic, it looks great, plays great the winter house is definitely something you will enjoy right and oh yeah that's the kind of thing it's just like there's you know i mean watching it there's so many things that kind of come to mind but yeah trying to think of what they are right now off the top of my goddamn head but it's just those kind of um intriguing pieces you know what, like, it's not the same at all, but just the Changeling, the Apple TV series, you know, there, there's some similarities in the fact that you're watching something and you know there's more there, right? You know there's more there, but it's kind of wrapped up in just this kind of small tale about people's lives, but under the surface, there's this kind of rippling force waiting to explode. And yeah, I, I would say, you know, that's a kind of a representation of what this is. But yeah, there's so many of those stories, you know, that we've seen and we've enjoyed. And yet, if you like something that deals with relationships, right, deals with relationships, but isn't that huge, crazy, explosion-filled piece, but it's just that, that nice kind of look, right? Little tiptoes, but then occasionally some big steps, right? If you like that kind of story, the winter house will be for you. So, boom, it's available on all VOD. Look, as usual, all the information is on the website. So go check it out, people. Because, yeah, I think this one is one that you would definitely enjoy. Okay, people. So now it is time to talk to the writer and director of this great film. It is Keith Boynton.
Oh gosh, uh, I don't know where to begin the story. I mean, I wrote the script back in 2016. I was in a heavy writing phase. I was trying to just generate as much material as I could. Um, it was inspired by a real house. You know, my, my family had a lake house growing up. Um, we actually still have it. It's in Connecticut. It's this odd situation where uh, our lake house is 15 minutes from our normal house. And so instead of being vacation, it was like, you could literally go there and watch TV. You know, if I wanted to go watch Saturday Night Live with my brother in my teenage years, we'd just go to the lake house. So it was a, it was a pretty big part of my growing up and, and it's still part of my life. And it's, I guess I became fascinated by like, what is that? What is a sort of summer place like in the winter, right? What's it like in the off season? I think the whole idea of the off season is really fascinating to me. This sort of time and place where you're not supposed to be here. You know, this, mm. this is a summer place and here you are in the winter. Um, and it gets very lonely, you know, it gets, it's a beautiful place, but it gets really lonely in the off season. And so I think as independent filmmakers often do, I was sort of looking for things that I had access to, right? Resources I already had. And I thought, well, if I made a movie in the lake house, like that, that's, it's right there, it's a beautiful place. Um, and so that sort of got me thinking about, well, what kind of thing would happen in that house? What kind of person would go there? What would drive them there, especially in the wintertime? And, uh, and how would that story unfold? So I wrote the script. I was you know, very much picturing this particular location, uh, put the script on the shelf for a few years, made another movie, uh, did other stuff. And then I guess I, well, the, yeah, the, the movie that I made before that was called The Scottish Play, and it got... Um, it got a little bit big in a lot of, like, I love that movie. I'm so proud of that movie. Um, that, that movie came out last year, actually. It's finally available. Um, but it it did start to feel like, you know, the cast is kind of big and it's a lot of locations and like the production's a little bit larger than I can sort of stay in control of. And uh, so I think after that experience, I was really eager to sort of get back to basics. And like, what if it's just two actors in a room? You know, what if it's just me and two actors and we go at it and it's almost like a play? Mm -hmm. um, and so the Winter House felt like, kind of felt like the perfect antidote really to the Scottish play. The Scottish play was more ambitious. The Winter House is very stripped down. It's very essentialized, back to basics kind of thing. Um, and so I, you know, I started, I started reaching out, I reached out to my producers who had made the Scottish play as well, started reaching out to actors, uh, became clear very early on that we were not gonna shoot in my family's actual lake house um, for, for every possible reason. Um, and so then it became this location scouting thing. And, you know, can we find a place that's, that captures some of that feeling, you know, the place that we ended up shooting is completely different. It doesn't look like uh, the house that I pictured at all, but it does capture that feeling of isolation. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, especially in the wintertime, this feeling of like, you're on the edge of the world and there's no one else there with you, or maybe there's one other person there with you. And what's, what's that like, you know? Um, so yeah, that's kind of, and then, you know, we were lucky enough to get um, Lily and Francois to, to sign on for it. They, the two of them, Lily Taylor and Francois Arnaud, they kind of signed onto the project on the same day. So we really went oh, from wow. having, they have the same uh, representation. Um, and so we went from having no cast to basically being ready to go, you know, in, a, in an afternoon. It was, it was an amazing, mm -hmm. 
an amazing feeling. And we got the whole thing done just before the pandemic shot, shut everything down. It was, um, whoa, whoa. yeah, we I'm shot sure. February of 2020 and literally three weeks after we wrapped, everything was closed. Yo, yeah. yo. So that was, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> that's crazy. that was a lucky escape. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we, of course we had no idea. We, you know, we thought, oh great, we wrapped our movie. And, and then of course, you know, the, the early days of the pandemic were a great time to be in post-production because it's just me alone with my laptop and everybody needed a project. And, and for me, it was, uh, it was not making my own kombucha or sourdough, but it was making this movie. <laughs> yo, yo, but, but that's a that's great, a great how, How did we get them? The, the actors? Yeah. 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 I mean, I think it's, it's like any relationship. It's finding the right fit. You know what I mean? So it's like everything has to fit. Everything has to come together. The script, the director, the timing, the actor, it's this sort of dance. And I think on a certain level, it's still mysterious to me when it works out, how it works out. There's almost like a kind of, destiny to it um and we were not able to stick with our original timetable we did have to keep pushing production because you know you need the right actors in those roles you know you need the mm -hmm. best possible people um and they have to play off of each other beautifully and they have to be excited to work together um and the, yeah the fact that they came on almost as a package um i don't know yeah it did feel sort of providential but it's a it's a it's a really stressful you know we had a great past casting director pat mccorkle she did a beautiful job. Um, the the gentleman uh, who ended up sort of packaging the film for us called Barry McPherson. He's the one who represents both uh, Lily and Francois. And so it's uh, you know it's partly just having the right people in your corner, but it's also it's it's luck or fate or kismet or whatever it is. And like you know, God only knows why it happens. <laughs> I, I the film is definitely built, built on, on performances of characters. Yeah. Right, so, right, so what, what did you how did you correct them, them to be able, able to do what do they were able, able to, to do, do here? Mm. I mean, to be honest, there there wasn't a lot of time between their signing on and actually the start of shooting. I think it was a couple of weeks. Um, so we really just we didn't do any rehearsal or anything like that. We we had a couple of conversations about the characters. Um, you know, I remember talking to Lily about her, you know, she's got such an incredibly warm presence just naturally as a human being. And, and that tends to come across in her performances, right? And mm -hmm. so I remember talking to her about how it was really important for the character to have a sense of reserve and, you know, a sense of coldness. Like, so that some, some of her, I don't remember if I put it this way, but I felt like some of her natural warmth would have to be sort of, tamped down, at least in certain scenes, right? Because the, the character is, for one thing, she's going through something incredibly difficult and traumatic. Um, but I think she also is, she's just a, she's a very reserved and intelligent and calculating sort of person. She doesn't lead with warmth. She doesn't lead with emotion or connection in the way that Lily does. Um, so that was really interesting. And obviously I knew that she was a, a wonderful actress and I knew she could pull it off, but it was cool to watch her sort of have to play against her instincts in a certain way. And then those moments when the character does warm up, of course, are so much more magical because you've seen the character retreat, you know, you've seen her sort of just want to observe from a distance. And then when she actually is willing to engage um, with Jesse, with Francois's character, uh, those moments have just absolute magic. I mean, you, you saw, they have this incredible chemistry mm -hmm. with each other. 
Um, but it's nice that he has to work for it. You know, it's nice that it doesn't it doesn't happen immediately. Well, it's, um, well, it's really, I think I think that thing. The situation where there's like a you know when we when we need things before. It can seem just a bit of right? right? Because, because like two people, people meet and then straight away, like, like, oh, oh I'm telling everything. everything. And you're just, yeah. you're just like, don't, that, that, that doesn't that happen. Doesn't happen. What, what, yeah. what are we doing? What are we doing? So, so watching, watching this, this, you, you actually like, like, oh, yeah, this, this is great. great. Because, because there was that reserve. And even when it felt like they might be over they were still, they were still holding, holding some, some back. back. So, so it's just, like, just like, yeah, yeah no, I no, like this. This is happening, happening like, like it happens in the world. world. This, this isn't, isn't just, just a typical, typical Hollywood, Hollywood, you know, you know ABC situation. situation. Yeah. Well, and like in the real world, it's, of course, it's a, it's a back and forth, right? It's two steps forward and one step back. So it's not this sort of steady progression of, you know, we start out pretty distant and then we get more and more intimate. It's actually it's it's up and down the whole way. Mm -hmm. right? The overall arc might be increasing intimacy, but at the micro level, it's going to start out with reserve and then warm and then cold again and then warm and then cold again. <laughs> there's yeah, a sort yeah. of a yeah. There's a there's an interesting interplay there, um, and and I like I like playing with both. You know, like I, it's always it's fun to surprise yourself and it's fun to surprise the audience. So I like you know going for like warmth and empathy at moments when we might expect more conflict. But it's also fun to sort of wedge in that conflict at moments when we think things are going a little too well. <laughs> you know, it's it's fun to sort of titrate that, and uh, and it's where my background in playwriting, because I've done a lot of playwriting, really comes in handy. You know, so much of playwriting, particularly sort of traditional, realistic American playwriting, is about ringing as many variations on a simple situation as you can. Right. So you mm -hmm. put two people in one room for two hours. And how interesting can you make that? How many different versions of their interaction, of their relationship, can you have? And I, I find that really stimulating. I find that much more stimulating than sort of a completely wide open canvas where anything can happen. I like to restrict it. I like to say, all right, it's only going to be a limited number of characters, limited number of locations. Here are the rules of the world. And then what can happen within those rules? Yeah, yeah, no, 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 and so, and yeah, so, yeah, that was, that was a huge thing in this moment. It was super. It was oh, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think it it gets us to what's elemental about movies, right? I mean, some movies are, of course, much more elaborate, and some of those movies are brilliant. But at the end of the day, the thing that we care about in any movie is human connection, right? That's what we're interested in. That's what we're looking for. So, you know, the story could span the galaxies and it could take place over a thousand years. We would still be interested in what are those human moments? What are those human relationships? Mm -hmm. And there's something extra crisp and clear about a story that focuses only on the relationship. There's there's really nothing else going on in this movie, right? It's, <laughs> it's winter, it's icy, it's cold. The whole town is kind of dead. 
And so the only thing happening, I mean, it turns out there are a couple other things going on, but yeah. <laughs> but, but really, for most little, of the movie, time, time, time. <laughs> yeah, there are external forces eventually that impinge on their on their uh, sort of perverse little idol. But uh, but yeah, for the most part, it's about the connection between these two particular people. And uh, I don't know what, what could be more what could be more essential. What could be more central than that? Yeah. yeah. Now now. There was, there was two, two moments, moments in this film, film. because, because that's it, it, it felt, felt like, like this, this intimate, intimate story, story, right? Right, these interactions, interactions like that. that. Yeah. But these but two, two moments, moments for me, me felt, felt like it like really, really just opened things, things up in a direct way. way. So, so there, there was the poem, poem read. And it's the first time you through it. And then, and the, then second the second time, time slow down, slow down the cadence. Yeah. And, and really view it with it more, more emotion. emotion. And just, just, just boom. It's a whole, whole different kind of, kind of expansion of, of what's going, going down. down. And, and then, then when they go on the wall, wall and they, and they look at you, you and again, again the, 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 the everything up. up. Like, like, yeah. Did, did you write those scenes to do, do that? that? Like, did, like, did you know they, they do, do that? that? Like, like, what was what, the thing around, around that? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, I, I think what those scenes are both about, you know, both of these characters are people in need of healing. They're very damaged characters in different ways. And so I, I think to me, those scenes are about that. They're like, what are the things, what are the things in the world that actually can save you when your own life isn't doing it. Um, and I think like art and poetry are definitely one of those things. Mm-hmm. And the natural world around you is another thing that at least for a lot of people that can be very healing and very saving. Um, and those are also moments that, that bind the characters together because they both react in a similar way. The, you know, the poem is uh, Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening by Robert Frost. It's one of the best yeah, poems yeah. ever written in the English language. The two characters have a similar even though one of them is much less educated, much less literary, uh, they have a similar kind of feeling about that poem, a connection to it. Uh, and then, yeah, they go on they go on this hike and they end up at the top of a ridge and they're looking out over the fields and the wintry valley. And uh, there's something, even though Jesse, the local, kind of hates it, and Eileen, the visitor, kind of loves it, mm-hmm. there, there is something that, I mean, there's a reason he takes her there, right? He takes her to that place. Um, so I, th- I think those are, yeah, they're, they're moments about connecting to something larger, and but they're also about forging that connection with each other. And the, the, the poem reading scene in particular was such a lesson in acting because on the page, I mean, this is literally just the text of a famous poem and he has to say it twice. So on the page, even though I had an idea in my head of what the scene could mean, obviously I wouldn't have written it otherwise, um, it could feel a little bit kind of predictable. It could feel a little bit static on the page, just the same yeah, yeah. language, the same very famous language repeated twice. But Francois brought so much uh, feeling to that moment. He, he invested in it so deeply that you, you feel like you're hearing these words for the first time. And, I, and it's, you know, it is one of my favorite poems, probably my favorite poem. And I remember we finished shooting that scene and I told him, I said, look, this is my favorite poem ever. And you really brought it to life in a new way for me. And uh, and he just gave me a hug. And it was one of it was one of the best moments that we had together <laughs> on that set. 
Um, cause I was so, I don't know. I was so grateful that he was, that he was able to be so generous with that emotion. And, and he really did bring that poem to life. Did he, did he know that he Yeah, I think so. But I think he deliberately tried not to learn it too much, not to do too much work on it ahead of time yeah, because yeah. he wanted to come. I think he'd read it. I mean, I think most of us read it at some point at school. Um, but he wanted to come to it as fresh as possible. I mean, he is reading it in the in the scene, so he doesn't have to have it memorized. Um, so I think he really made the point of sort of discovering the poem or rediscovering the poem himself in front of the camera, which is such an intelligent actor decision to make. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it really, really comes across. across. Right? This, right. It's, 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 yeah. And then the next one is like, and the love. Yeah, and there's something so beautiful too in the way he does it because he doesn't fall into the trap of acting the poem. No, no, right? No, 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 like no. you don't want it to be like, oh, this character suddenly turned into an actor and he's performing this poem beautifully. He's still just reading it, right? So he's not like he's not adding a lot of interpretation, even when he reads it more slowly and with more feeling. It's not like here's the definitive reading of this poem. It's here's me, this person in this moment, saying these words out loud. And it's not perfect. It's not totally clean. It's not totally polished. He's it's still rough and it's raw and it's ragged. And he's this character, right? He's someone who maybe doesn't always know how to present himself in language. Um, but the sense of connection is so palpable and all you know all all that she asks him to do is just slow it down that's all she says slow it down mm -hmm. um, and i think there is there is probably something in that for everybody that if if an ex any experience has lost its meaning for you one thing you can always do is slow it down yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 I, and i think, and I think just having just that having scene, scene, right? And, right, her, and her, her going, going oh, oh, just, just do this, this with it. And, and, and just like, like your people, people, people look at him and they think it's it right? right? mm. And so and then, so then when he does it now, and he's reading it, it's like then seeing what she might be in it. So then, by then, it can even more. Yeah. I mean, it is one of those moments of incredible trust between them, right? Because he makes himself so vulnerable in this scene and she manages to convey to him that he is safe, that he's not going to be humiliated, that she's not going to laugh if he starts to weep, which he does, you know? Um, you know, th there is, there's an incredible sense of, um, uh, yeah, I don't know, th there's an incredible sense that the two of them are kind of on this tightrope together. She's not forcing him to walk the tightrope alone, but she's on it with him she's there for him in that moment um and and like the most amazing gift you can give to anyone is deep listening deep attention and it's so hard it's so hard to just be present with another person but when you can do that it's it's magic yeah yeah like like this isn't this isn't like, like, you know you know you've written, written and directed you know, a good food film yeah but but how, how did it write these kind of kind moments, of moments right, to, right to be able, able to nail the, the emotion kind of kind of in your head. Yeah, it's, I mean, when it's going well, it's one of the most joyful things you can do. 
um, when, when it's really flowing and you can you can picture the scene and you have a feeling for the characters. And there is this sense that it almost kind of writes it. So I, I think this screenplay, I think the moment when I wrote it was around the moment when I started to feel really confident as a screenwriter. Like I say, I was writing all the time. Mm -hmm. I was really, really focused on writing. And um, and it it was, I think it was, a there was a feeling of mastery that I, you know, I've been writing screenplays since uh, my early twenties, um, and you know, I'm uh, I'm not going to say how old I am, but I'm 42. But uh, <laughs> no, but, uh, you know, it took me at least a decade to have any real feeling for what what I was supposed to be doing. And I wrote mm -hmm. God knows how many scripts I wrote that just that really weren't screenplays in a way. They were sort of attempts at writing screenplays, but I didn't I didn't have like a, an intuitive or a lived in sense of the shape of a story. Uh, of a movie um and you i mean in a way you write movies right you don't write screenplays you write movies so <laughs> the the movie the movie in your head tells you how to write the screenplay on the page mm -hmm. um but it took yeah it took me uh at least a decade probably more to get to a point where i felt like i actually have the skills to say what i want to say um and this i remember this writing process being pretty smooth and pretty easy, I think partly because I knew what the assignment was, just ring the variations on these characters in this place. I did not know where the story was going. I very much discovered the story along the way. Um, but I knew, you know, from the moment that Eileen wakes up and there's a stranger in the house and she comes downstairs and he's in the kitchen and he's making tea. Like I knew I had a story. I knew that I think that was the image that was in my head when I started writing. And then you know, there's 10 pages before that. But but at that moment, I knew I had a movie, right? This woman's alone in this house, the dead of winter. She wakes up. There's a stranger downstairs making tea. That's a movie. We're off to the races. And that's, mm -hmm. all, I, that's all I need. Yeah. yeah. But it's, but it's, it's, it's choices, choices that you need in those moments. And it's and what it's character, character do, which then make it interesting. And you have, have to observe, observe really, really what's going, going on. on. That, that tells you a lot, a lot about, about both of them. And and at that very moment, that we, we can get more clarity on the career. But it's yeah. just that, that interaction, which you don't understand at the time, but it's very pivotal. In, in they are. Yeah, and you you do get these interesting moments where the characters kind of interpret each other for us, right? Like that that first scene between the two of them, it's is the subject of the last conversation they have in the movie, right? The last mm -hmm. conversation they have, they're out on the dock, and Jesse's asking her about like why she made the choices that she made in that first scene between them, and that's that's really fun for me because I get to sort of yeah, you get to interrogate your own characters, right? If Jesse has questions about why Eileen behaved that way, well, so does the audience, right? So do I. So it's nice, it's fun for Jesse to be the voice of those of us who have questions about, well, why did, why did you handle it? I'm a stranger in your house. You wake up, you've never seen me before. Why did you approach me this way instead of that way? Mm. Why did you come down? Why were you sort of, in a way, kind of open to having this experience? And there isn't just one easy, concrete answer, but the fact that he gets to ask the question is really fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, and I, I, that, was that was something, something that we see throughout, throughout the, film, the film, right? In, right, different, in different conversations, conversations. Mm. you know, yeah, women, like, like 
talking about, about death, right? And right, it's like, and it's like, like don't want to die, but you know, you and, know and, and, and sometimes, sometimes there is there that, is gray, that area gray area of so many, many different, different things. things. Like, we like, can we act, act reckless. Mm. And, and someone, someone else, else, it's like, it's like, like death, death, but it's, but it's, it's like, like, no, I'm really not die. But, you know, I'm just going to do this. Yeah. Well, and I think recklessness is really good story material. Right. When people make choices that they shouldn't make, that are not rational, that are not smart, uh, especially when smart people make choices that are not smart. Uh, that's very, very rich material for storytelling. Right. And, and it's, I, I especially love it when the character knows they're making the wrong choice. There's a there's a moment in uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral. I love this moment. It's one of my favorite cinematic moments. Hugh Grant, it's the it's the night of the first wedding. And he's just met Andy McDowell. They're staying at the same B&B. All of his friends are going off to the after party to have a great time. And he has them drop him off at his B&B. Like he leaves all of his friends to go back to the B&B. And they're like, what are you doing? Why don't you want to come out with us? And he's like, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. They drop him off on the side of the road by the B&B. All of his friends pull away in the van. And Hugh Grant just goes, odd decision. And I love that. Like he knows that he's done something that makes no sense. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, that's so exciting, right? Just the character who's like, oh, why did I do that? That's weird. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I, I think that's, that's the thing, thing, right? Because, right? because, because a, lot a lot of times, times it, it, you know, you know certain situations are played. Like, like, oh, like, oh, it was a happy coincidence. Oh, it was a bit of luck. luck. But, but in, in life, life, right, there's, there's things, things that, that no. This could, this, be, could be, this could be, this could be, could be this could this be, this isn't this the smartest, smartest thing. thing. Mm. Oh, well, oh, well, you're gonna, do, gonna it anyway. do it anyway. Absolutely. You know, well, you know sometimes, so, the, yeah, sometimes the smartest thing you can do is to do something dumb. You know, yeah, if, you, yeah. if you're really in a rut and you have to shake things up, you might make an irrational choice and it might not make any sense to anyone else. It might not make any sense to any other version of you, right? But if, if that's what you feel like you have to do, then, you know, there might be a reason. Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah, so, so yeah, no, yeah, no, it, it, it refreshing to actually see these things play out. Because as I said, only time, time you'll want something. And, and it, it, it just, it just seems, seems like the sanitized version of reality. And it's so, so frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think this movie sort of walks an interesting line for me because it Someone actually made this comment to me when we screened at the Woodstock Film Festival. There was a journalist who came up to me at the end of the screening. Or no, he, he was in the Q&A, actually, at the end of the screening. And he sort of, he said, like, this movie keeps flirting with tragedy. It keeps flirting with being the most depressing version of these events. And honestly, like, a movie that maybe we've seen before. And then it keeps sort of veering away from, from that version of the film. And I, and I, I thought that was really insightful that sort of illuminated the movie for me actually um i think when i was writing it i was very aware that the story could go to the darkest possible places and i didn't want to right so i was sort of like walking this line of you want it to feel authentic you want the characters to be real you want the possibility of tragedy to be there um but i also wanted it to be a movie that had that had optimism and that had a heart and that had redemption. And of course, those are things that exist in the real world too. It's not like the most depressing art is actually the most realistic, but oftentimes we think that way. Oftentimes we think the 
the way to make a story realistic is to make it really dark and sad. Yes. Yes. Um, and I'm much more interested in, I guess, in a way, like real realism is a balance between both, right? The good and the bad, the light and the dark. Of course, there's place in the world for movies that are um, that are fairly brutal and unrelenting, but but it's not the kind of movie that I want to make. I'm much more interested in, um, yeah, in redemption, in hope, and people being good to each other. Uh, maybe maybe even being better than than other people have a right to expect. I think that's really rich story material too. And um, I don't think maximum conflict is always the best route to a good story. No, no, no. And I, and I think when we when think, we think about, about you know situations situation that we find ourselves in, it's kind of sad, sad, right? You right, feel down. Yeah. But it's, it's not one thing to in that day. No. Right, right. But it could just be that there's just there's not, not anything, anything happening to kind to of, kind of help rise, rise up. up. But mm. but so as as, as, as that door starts to open, you can go through it. Right? Yeah. Right? So I mean, that thing, right? I think that's really, yeah. Sorry. I think that's really insightful with regard to these characters in particular, that these are two people who are sad, who don't want to be sad. They're people in a really dark place who don't want to be in that dark place. And that's what they're able to find in each other is like the tools to get out, right, of that uh, depression or whatever it is. Um, but you, yeah, you have to, you have to want it. And yeah, I mean, I think in this is, this is maybe taking the conversation to a very dark place, but the, you know, the people who are most lost are the people who don't actually want to get better. And that can happen too. You know, there are people who, at least in a given moment, they don't want to get better. They don't want to be happy. Um, and hopefully those moments pass for most of us, but that that's when you really start to worry about someone if they don't, if they don't want it to be better. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This, 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 I think, I think, yeah, it's so complicated, right? Because I think there's not one one bad, and and having to take exit to right? Then I, then I think there's, there's one wanting to get out, out of it, it but, not but not being able to navigate the maze. So, so you, you need to die. die. You need you someone, someone to come, to come and help you out. out. And then, and then yeah, yeah, then, 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 then there's unpunished the punishment. Like, like, nah, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay, stay here. Yeah. I'll stay here. Stay here. But sometimes, yeah, sometimes it's not even you want to stay there forever. It's just like, I'm not ready for the light right now. Sure. Yeah, and, uh, obviously that's valid too, right? It's, it's you know, we are allowed to have moments when we don't even feel like trying. That's part of the human experience. But you, you hope that those moments don't last too long. Um, and oftentimes you do, you know, at the end of the day, you, you can't really save another person, but you can be that that vital catalyst that they need, right? You can be the, the momentary consolation or the hand up or the encouraging smile. You can be you can be something that encourages them to save themselves or see that they can save themselves. Um, yeah, I think that that's kind of what the that's kind of what the movie's about. I think it's what the movie's about. <laughs> it's two people who who almost sort of accidentally kind of save each other. Mm. Mm. Yeah. 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 
You know what I mean? mean? And, 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 and I think that's what you need sometimes, right? right? It, it, it can be dark, it can be murky, murky. and then you see that glimmer, right? And it's and that, it's that you, know, you, you know, you can see it and you can lose it, it. But, but when, when someone, someone isn't, isn't offended, offended by your sadness, Right, right, and it's it can try and push away, just go away. But when someone's just, just like, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be here, here. I'm, I'm the light, light guiding, guiding you again. Yeah, that's, that's the thing, thing that you need, you need and that can work for each other. And that, yeah, well, and I love that lighthouse analogy in part because a lighthouse is something far away, right? It, mm -hmm. You can't actually get up to it and embrace it, right? It's not It's not going to pull you out of the shipwreck yourself, right? But it is It is a beacon. It does guide you. It does, you know, and at the, I mean, at the end of this movie, these characters, are, I hope, hope it's not a spoiler, but at the end of the movie, they're not in the same physical place, right? But they do still have a connection to each other. And, and I mean, to some degree, uh, even the people you're closest to, they're, they are, they are still, a distant lighthouse, right? You can't actually share someone else's thoughts or feelings. You can empathize, but like we are on some level, everyone is alone, and on another level, we're we're all deeply connected. And the, but both of those things, once again, it's the tension between opposites. Both both of those things are just very very true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With with did, did that did that change, change in any way? way? Like like where, where you know you know. Having, having the character, the character get, to get to a certain, certain place, place in their, in their story, story, but not, but not have it feel, feel right. right. Yeah. Right. But, but still, still satisfactory. To, to still, still, when you do it, you like, yeah, yeah. No, no I, like I like that. That, that, makes, that makes sense. sense. I, feel I feel they're at that, that point they would they do that thing. How did that come to you? I mean, I think I knew that it should be a bittersweet ending. Um, I didn't want all bitter. I didn't want all sweet. Uh, my my own default, especially as a writer, I don't know about as a human being, but my own default is for things to be pretty sweet. And the Scottish plays a very sweet movie. Um, the one I made before, which is sort of a Shakespearean theme. You know, that's that's a very warm-hearted movie, and this one's a little bit more complicated. Um, yeah, I knew that it shouldn't feel like an easy, picture-perfect Hollywood ending. I also knew that I don't. I don't actually have it in me to torture a character to death. You know what I mean? There are there are limits to what what I can bring myself to do, even to a fictional person, especially to a fictional person. Um, yeah, I think the broad strokes of the ending were were pretty easy to um, to come to. They sort of grew out of the logic of the rest of the story, and yeah, getting through that, that getting that kind of synthesis of of hope and uh, and difficulty. There there was a was one of the few line changes we made was near the very end and it was lily's idea the line the line in the script i, I don't want to spoil the whole thing but when she uh uh she comes down and she reads this note uh the the line in the script was uh God damn it, Jesse, it was just a stupid book, which people who've seen the movie will understand what this means. I'm not going to explain it. But <laughs> the line was, God damn it, Jesse, it was just a stupid book. Um, and, and Lily didn't feel like that was the right tone. And so we changed it to, uh, couldn't you have just waited a day? Mm. The line that ended up in the movie. Um, which is, I don't, I don't know if that's the same sentiment or a different sentiment. I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't even know if it's better or worse, to be honest, but it's like, it was really important to her 
to, I, I think to, to have the character be acknowledging her own grief, I guess, that, you know, to have it not be too easy for her. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, it, of course, whatever redemptive outcome there is can only have meaning in the context of real loss and, and hurt and tragedy. So hopefully we achieve the right balance of those things. Yeah, no, yeah, no, that, yeah, yeah. No, you, no, you, you agree. That was that great. Was great. Like, like, understanding, understanding the, the, what, what happened to happen, right? If right? you're in the mind, peace and salvation, salvation. That, that has to happen. happen. But it's but like, it's like <sighs> I mean, I mean, just 24 hours. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, just, just that little, that little bit. bit. Like, like I, I, I'm, I'm content, content with, with this. this. Right. But, but just, just 24 hours. Yeah, there is something very human about that. It's the bargaining impulse, right? Mm. It's like, oh, but just, but just, yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, you always want more time. You're always going to want more time. Right? And I guess that's, I guess that's better than the alternative. It's better than not wanting more. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, very, very true. true. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, because, because you worked, worked as, as an, as an editor, editor as well, as well. Like, like how, how much of that, that plays, plays into, into how you, how you create it? Uh, it's interesting. I mean, I guess I, I should say I don't think of myself as an editor. I mean, I do edit my own films. I've been editing my own films a long time. I never edit anyone else's films. So I, I don't think of myself as, a, as an editor so much as, uh, you know, just a director who, who uh, gets his hands dirty at the end of the process. Um, it, it's really, I think it's vital for a director to, uh, to think about editing, to be able to think like an editor. I don't think directors have to be editors, mm -hmm. but I think directors have to be very, very aware of what it is to be in the editing room, dealing with that footage and really trying to build the movie out of it. Um, the mistake it's easy to make is, well, there are lots of mistakes. There, there are a thousand pitfalls that come from shooting the movie in general. Here's some, here's some general coverage. Here's some shots in general, right? And mm -hmm. and I guess I guess if you get enough shots, maybe that can work. But you save so much time and energy and aggravation by it's it's not that you edit in advance in your head. I don't do like a detailed storyboard. I'm not Alfred Hitchcock. But you save so much time on set and so much frustration on set by having a feeling for what moments you need and how they're gonna how they're gonna cut together. Um, so I don't need to know where the cuts are. In general, I don't even know where the cuts are. Yeah, but I yeah. do need to know that we got this moment of their eyes meeting across the room. I need to know that we got his close-up, that we got her close-up. Uh, I need to know, you know, if, if a character's looking out a window, I need to know that we've got the shot out the window, if that's part of the scene. Um, and if it's not part of the scene, I need to know that also, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, maybe the character's looking out the window, but, but what's important isn't what's out the window. What's important is what's behind him, right? Uh, so I need to know that too. Um, yeah, I think you can get yourself in a lot of trouble if you're not shooting for the editing room. But you should always you should always be shooting for the editing room. You should always have in your mind, um, you know, this footage doesn't stand on its own. This footage lives or dies when I start to splice it together. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 you know, you and, know I, and I think that's in so many, many other things, right? right? When you're when writing, writing stuff, stuff, just, just like, like, I know, I know, just, just 
in the day, in the day you know, writing, 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 Who's mm. who's yours? Like, what like, do right, I do right, I want right, to buy this? Right. This right. So right, it's like yeah. you always have to have an intention of something to really, really maximize that end product. That's a really good point. Yeah, it's an incredible, it's an incredible time saver. And yeah, if you see people in the world who do seem just incredibly productive or incredibly efficient, it's likely because of that, because they're thinking about the goal all the time. And it's a lot of it's about what you don't do, right? What mm-hmm. you not spend time on. Um, you know, if you're absolutely certain that you know what your mission is, then there's a lot of stuff you don't have to do. Whereas if you have just a general sense of what kind of thing you're trying to achieve, yeah, you're going to end up wasting a lot of time and effort doing things that maybe you didn't need to do or things that you could have done maybe in just a, in a, just a simpler and more straightforward way. Um, you know, one of the things I love about filmmaking is that it's all compromise. I mean, I'm, I'm in pre-production on a new movie right now. And like every conversation is about, well, if we don't have this, it's going to have to be this. We could have this, but then we have to give up this. That's great. You know, that's, it's possible to have resources that are too limited and really be constrained by it, you know, in an unfortunate way. But in general, you want constraints, right? You want to be pushing up against reality. You, you want to be forced to make those choices. Like my, mm-hmm. my nightmare is, you know, this is a three-page dialogue scene in the kitchen, and we have all week to shoot it. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, my yeah, nightmare yeah. because I don't know what to do with that time. I want to shoot that scene in six hours, and then I want to move on and shoot something else. And if you tell me I have to shoot it all week, I, I, I would go crazy. I would do too many takes. I would do too much coverage. I would, it would, you know, I'd lose my mind. The actors would hate me. Um, that's my absolute worst. I would much rather have, you know, two hours to get the scene when it should be six, than have outrageous amounts of time <laughs> although you know both are both are painful in different ways mm. well i think well, it's always an interesting thing, thing right, right? How, how many times, times have, have we seen, seen a great, great indie director, director right right suddenly, suddenly in the, in the, the to a studio, studio. Mm. Right, right. And it's in his first game card. Oh, this is awesome. awesome. There's more money, more money. Obviously, obviously going to kill it. And it's just, and it's just like, like oh, what, what, what happened? Right. It was so, so sagging, just, just uncoordinated. And I think, and I think that, that's that thing, that right? right? It's not, not having, having those trains. Yeah. Not having, having those, 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 making Lord of the Rings. I wish I could remember all the details of this. But apparently at one point, uh, Andy Serkis was off with a second unit as the second unit director. Yes, and he was yes. filming a, like a big battle scene with no idea where it would go in the movie or, or even which movie. He was just out there. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was The Hobbit, maybe it was Lord of the Rings. Anyway, uh, to me and like all respect to those filmmakers, Andy Serkis is a genius. To me, that's just a sign that something has gone horribly, hideously wrong. <laughs> like you're out there getting footage of like orcs bashing together. You don't even know what sequence it's in. Like, just take a take a break at that point. <laughs> just do do something else. Shoot a music video. You know. <laughs> um, no, it's really yeah. And I think the the filmmakers who do um, 
make the successful transition to big budget. It's because they don't think of it differently. You know, Christopher Nolan has talked about this. You know, he's made brilliant low budget movies, brilliant big budget movies. Um, but he's he's talked about it. He doesn't approach it differently. It's not a different mm -hmm. process, right? He's he's always behind the camera. He doesn't have a second unit director, uh, which is very unusual. He's always the person approving every image because it's all going to be in the movie, right? And so, you know, maybe the shot is just of someone's watch, but you can't farm that off to someone else because you're the director. You have to be there. You have to get the shot. You have to make sure the watch looks the way you want it to look. Um, and I th yeah, I think that's the and and of course. If you're doing, if you have a hundred million dollars and you're spending it correctly, you do run into limitations, right? Yeah. Like if 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 that's your budget, then the film better be that ambitious. It better be that big in scale, which means you are going to run out of money for something. At some mm -hmm. point, you're going to be like, oh, wouldn't it be great to do this? We can't. We don't have the money. We don't have the time. We, it's too. You know, we got to spend that money on something else, right? So, in theory, like they're. It's not really that a budget can be too big. It can just be too big for what you're doing. Yes. Yes. And, and I, I, I think, think the thing, thing, thing is, 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 is physics, physics like, like you'd actually, you'd actually don't have to use that, that, that money. Mm. Right? Right? You don't have you don't to use it. And I'm going to give a And so there's a load of people coming to me. Oh, we'll do this. We'll do that. Hmm. And you just and you just look at the deals, deals and, and, and it's just it's like, like I mean, money. No, that no, doesn't make any sense. Right? Yeah. I don't, don't want to go that route. route. Yeah. And, and, and even though, though I had the budget, hmm. right? But, right. but, but it's like, like no, that's no, going to, I think that will fuck up in Right? That's the It's looking at you've got a budget. It's still, it's still having the mindset, mindset of, of not having a right? right? So, so you wave things for the worth, not for the cost. cost. Mm. And be like, be what like, is what this is actually, actually bringing, bringing to, to this? Rather than, rather than oh, I can't afford, afford it. Afford it. Let's just do it. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're uh, you're absolutely right. And, and I think, yeah, I think um, one of the things that makes it, you know, and I'm certainly not claiming to be, totally consistent about this myself. Like anyone can lose the plot, anyone can lose track of what, of what really matters. But one of the things that makes real visionaries in the world, real leaders, is what exactly what you said, right? Being focused on the outcome, being focused on the goal. Um, and when you are in that mentality, there's a kind of beautiful ruthlessness to it, right? You are a knife cutting through all the layers of what's in your way. Mm. When you lose track of the goal, then you're a cudgel, you're a blunt instrument, and all you can do is just keep beating away at what might be the wrong wall, right? <laughs> you're, you're, you're lost at that point. And yeah, again, I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm above this. Anyone can get can get lost, but it's worth, it's worth reminding yourself. And it's never too late to, to ask yourself that question. Am I doing the right thing? Am I doing it for the right reason? And you know, can I can I turn turn the ship around if not? Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, no, definitely. definitely. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I mean, when you, when you think, think about, about, you know, what, you know, what, this, this, I feel, what you've what created, created in this film, film kind of speaks into, into the whole, whole AI, AI conversation. Oh, interesting. Because, because I mean, everyone is like, oh, AI, AI can, will be taken take away from the right right? AI can write songs now. AI can do this. I don't think it can do this, though. 
Mm. I'm thinking, I'm thinking right, right, right. you'll win to how? Because I think, I think it's the it's human, human element. element. Right, it's being right. out of that sense. Now, I think I can write a generic franchise. Right, right. So you can hold on for a few more years. Right, look at it and Yeah, there's any of those with that heart, just like you know, you mean like latest latest trilogy, like like. I saw I saw from um twenty twenty. I don't think I that. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I guess I'm I'm hesitant to say one way or the other because obviously these technologies they're improving, right? They're improving every day. Well, yes, so I, think, I think they're going to get better and better. It can't do that. Yeah, maybe not yet. Maybe maybe someday it can. But I I guess I would want to ask the question and related to what we were talking about earlier about sort of the purpose of what you're doing. Do do we want AI to write screenplays? Like clearly, AI can write a screenplay now. Right? Mm -hmm. Is it better or worse than what a human being can do? Pretty subjective. But do we want AI to be like writing a screenplay? It doesn't have to take an enormous amount of time. It's not that many words, it's 20,000 words or so. They're relatively short. Um, it can take years, it could take weeks, it depends. But, right, you know, in some ways, writing a screenplay is the easy part. Like filmmaking is big and expensive and it involves a big team. Anyone can sit down and write a script, right? Scripts are cheap and they're disposable and more, most of them are bad. So that makes them even more disposable. So like, you know, you could program ChatGPT to write you a thousand screenplays in what, I don't know, a minute, right? Maybe less. But what it's not gonna do for you is tell you which ones are good or which ones are better than which other ones, which ones are worth your time. Like, I, I just, I think AI is an amazing tool, I think, something like writing a screenplay is is going to be one of the least useful applications of it i think ai is going to be it's going to be revolutionary in medicine it's going to be revolutionary i mean maybe every field there is right like it's got basically infinite potential um but what i mean what could be more human than sitting down and going uh i don't know what do i want to happen in this story what, what makes a good story let's try this right i mean mm. just it just seems like a quintessentially human activity if there's if there's anything we want human beings doing i would imagine it's expressing themselves because at the end of the day that's that's what we care about is human beings expressing themselves that's what like it's it's related to the reason why we, we want to know these days we want to know what our favorite creator had for breakfast right or we want to know like whether he's visiting a new city or whether he's made a new friend or, you know so much of this social media stuff is access to the, the ordinary lives of extraordinary people, right? Why do we care what Tom Hanks had for breakfast? Because we care about the human being. We don't only care about his work. His work is beautiful, right? It's amazing. But we don't just care about what he does in the movies. We care about him. We connect to him. 
as a human being. That's very natural. That's very normal. If an AI wrote a screenplay, you might enjoy the movie, but you couldn't shake the hand of the AI. You couldn't mm -hmm. congratulate the AI. You couldn't form an actual human bond with that thing, right? So you want to be able to shake the screenwriter's hand. You want to be able to meet him for coffee. You want to be able to tell him what you didn't like in the movie. Uh, I don't know. To me, all of that stuff is, is just as important as what's actually on the screen. Oh, for, oh, sure. for sure. Right, and right. that's, and that's why, why when people, people try and say cinema is dead, dead. Hmm. I think, I think it's right. right. Because, because going to going the cinema, to the cinema is component, component, right, it's right, about, it's about that, that screen, screen and, then and then other people, other people laughing at the unified front. Right, right. Like, oh, shit. Shit. oh, oh, you like that too. Oh, awesome. Right, and then the screen like, like, yeah, yeah, right. And then you have the Yeah. You don't get watching something on your own on Netflix or Prime or You know, it's convenient. Mm. So I'm so just, I'm just like, like having, having the, the, the those options is great. great. You know, yeah. because, you know, because it's it's ill, 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 and you're like, I can't, I can't, I can't get out, get out of the house with the cinema. cinema I really want to watch this film. film. Mm. Great, to great have that pop. But, but going, going to the cinema, cinema sharing in that kind of symbiotic experience, I feel like you're going to not want that. Yeah. No, I completely agree. And I hope that one of the things the last two years have taught us is how much we care about going to the movies and seeing them in person, right? Last uh, last year, it was Top Gun. Everyone came out and saw Top Gun. A great time at the movies, a great big screen experience, right? Oh, oh. This year, it was Oppenheimer, it was Barbie, it was the new Mission Impossible. These were movies that people wanted to see in the theaters. And I, I hope that as a culture, we absorb the lesson that it's great to be able to watch stuff at home. That's lovely. What an amazing convenience. What an amazing privilege. But if we ever lose this movie theater experience, we've we really lost something valuable. Yeah. yeah. I, I, think, I think a problem, a problem with, with the whole, the whole situation, situation and, and you don't, you don't seem to always, to always get it being addressed. addressed. It's the it's cost, the cost of, it of it all. Mm. Right, right. It, 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 it's, it's, just remember back, back, back in the day, day right? right? The cinema, the cinema was the cheap, was a cheap day. day. Hmm. Right, it right. was, it was a cheap, cheap thing to do to when we didn't have a lot of money. money. Right, to right. hang out, hang out. Right. Oh, let's oh, go let's to the cinema. It's no longer that option. Yeah. Right, it's going to cost you like like £30 for the two cinema tickets. Then you've got you know, if you really want one concession, and it's just like right for the Christmas Yeah, yeah. But I want it. I want the popcorn. Buying those concessions is getting your transfers there. It's dark. You're dropping maybe like minimum of a hundred. Yeah, easily. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I don't know what you do about that because, of course, it's it's um, expensive to operate these places too. You know, obviously, they're big spaces. There's the rent on the space. There's the personnel. You want a good projector. I mean, I don't uh, I don't claim to deeply understand the economics of the movie theater business, but you're absolutely right. It's uh, it's not as accessible as maybe it should be. Um, yeah, and I don't know what the answer is. Um, I mean, maybe the answer is just that we all go less, but we still go. And maybe that's the best we can hope for. 
both because we have more convenient options and because it's not cheap. Maybe we just have to be more selective. And um, I don't know. It, it does seem like a shame. It seems like it, there should be a world where, uh, yeah, you can just go to a movie on a whim and not think too much about it. Mm. Well, I, well, I, 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 if they drop the price, price, you know what I mean? Yeah, that big thing. And and lower the price, crazy. But but make it cheaper, more people will go. Yeah, I think my understanding is the movie theaters make most of their money on the concessions. Oh yeah, no, yeah, no. So yeah, that's, yeah, but yeah, no. You, I mean, you may be right. I mean, I, uh, I don't know. I don't know how it, how it's economically feasible. In some ways, movie theaters do seem antiquated, but uh, I hope they stick around. I love them so much, and you're absolutely right. There's a kind of connection there that you can't have anywhere else. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, like what? What with the with kind the of kind of thing? Right. What is what the, is the thing you consume? Oh gosh. Um, I mean, I, th I think I have a pretty broad taste. Uh, I guess if I'm being honest, I used to watch more indie films and foreign films. And yeah, these days I, I see a lot of, um, I see a lot of blockbusters. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I like, I guess I like the, I'm not lowbrow and I'm not highbrow. I'm middlebrow. You know what I mean? So I, I like, an indie movie that has a Hollywood feel for story, right? Uh, or a Hollywood movie that has kind of an indie film feel for character and theme. You know, mm -hmm. the, the the movies that could be light and disposable, but actually have guts and heart, which you can do on a hundred million dollar, two hundred million dollar budget. It's not impossible. Those movies exist. Or the movies that are made on a shoestring, a relative shoestring, um, but that still have some cinematic scope and ambition. Right, so I'm I'm not super interested in the the most generic version of the blockbuster where it's just explosions, but I'm also not super interested in the most generic indie where it's just people screaming at each other in a kitchen. Yes, I, I yes. feel like we gotta have something in between where like if it is gonna be an argument in a kitchen. Well, someone said you know shoot a, a love scene like it's a war scene and shoot a war scene like it's a love scene. I can't remember who said this, um, but I think there's something to that. Right, if your story is very uh, small and intimate, try to make it as epic as possible. And if your story happens to be an epic, try to make it as intimate as possible. I think ultimately mm -hmm. you you want that push and pull between, you know, I think about a movie like, uh, uh, I mean, this is a cliche to admire, but Lawrence of Arabia, one of the greatest movies ever made. And it couldn't be more epic and it couldn't be more intimate. It's about one man, one very peculiar man. It's about his personality. And, uh, and it's, you know, it's not a movie that's afraid of small moments. Yeah, yeah, no, that's no, very true. true. It's very true, man. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're working, you're working on, on a new project at the moment. Yeah, I'm actually making my first uh, horror film. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm in Maryland right now. We're in pre-production. We start shooting in th uh, three weeks from today. And hey, man, how's it going? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, pretty excited about it. It's a, it's a slasher film. It's called The Haunted Forest. And uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a low low budget, even lower than the last two. It's going to be a small crew. We're going to be out in the forest at night, um, all night. And it's going to be it's going to be a little bit miserable, but uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun too. 
so, so what inspired, inspired you to uh, 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 the location so it's the this haunted forest is a real place it's a it's called markov's haunted forest and it's one of the most famous haunts in the country it's sort of like a haunted house but in the woods um incredibly elaborate incredibly beautiful it's my cousins who run this thing um and so i just i just wanted to do something um i, I wanted to sort of pay tribute to this place it's gorgeous um it's they put their hearts and souls into the place and uh yeah i wanted to showcase it okay, okay. In, in, is is right? right? You're shooting in this forest. forest. So now, so now the day, the day, you're looking, looking at your video. video. And then it's like, so, wait, what wait, the fuck is that? What do you do, man? You've got more than Oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, I hope we don't run into any real ghosts or zombies or ghouls, but you never know. You're there, you're there out there. Good to see you, man. Yes. Yeah, I'll be there. I'll be there. That's my, that's my cousin Sotir. Uh, he works at the Haunted Forest. I'm going to go check it out this evening. Uh, it's actually I'm, perfect I'm, timing that he walked through. I mean, that was that was like <laughs> like we planned it. Cross promotion. I had a long, long time. time. So I, don't I don't want you to, you know, miss the Haunted Forest and all of that. I will let you go. But when you've done this... Or for that was, I would love that. Yeah, this has been really fun, Kevin. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for inviting me on. And uh, yeah, I hope we can talk again soon. Awesome. 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 And, um, and I'm letting you know where they, where they follow, follow you, you on Instagram. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm on Facebook. I have an author page on Facebook, which is called Keith Boynton, Writer and Filmmaker. Uh, I'm also on Instagram. That's mostly just my personal Instagram, but it's just Keith Boynton. And uh, those are, yeah, those are the best places to follow me. I try to keep those, uh, especially the Facebook, keep it updated pretty regularly. Outstanding. For people, for people, winter, winter house, house is, is keeps, keeps new, new joint. Join. I, I, just, just when you look, when at, you the look car, at the car, the car is, is incredible. incredible. Right, right. The story, the story as well is amazing. amazing. The direct the cinematography. Hey, hey, all the pieces, all the pieces of this pie are, are incredible. incredible. Go, go check it out. Follow Make your life a little bit brighter. brighter. Thank you so much, Kevin. Really appreciate all right, it. All right. You have a you great, have a great day. day. You too. Take good care. All right. Peace. Peace. Bye. Okay, people. It is coming up to that fantastic time of year, right? The BFI London Film Festival, and this is the 67th edition. Yo, you know what I mean? That's a lot. And we've covered a good few of them on Echo Chamber. Unfortunately, missed last year with illness, but hey, fingers crossed, all is looking good for this yeah, so the festival starts on Wednesday, the 4th of October, running to Sunday, the 15th, right? It will comprise of a host of galas, and it starts off on the opening night with Saltburn. Um, 
we then have the closing night gala, which is the kitchen. You know what I mean? Um, the American Express gala is one life. The headline gala is all of us strangers. We have another headline gala, which is the bike riders. Um, another is the book of Clarence. The mayor of London's gala is chicken run, dawn of the nugget. The Connard gala is the holdovers. They, another headline gala is the killer. Another is killers of the flower moon and maestro, right? We have May, December, Nyad, and Poor Things. So, hey, this is definitely one to uh, pay attention to, especially when thinking about this, right? So, um, it says Saltburn. This is directed and written by Emerald Fennell. You know, it's starring Barry Keown, Jacob Elordi, Rosamund Pike, and Richard E. Grant. So, as well as the opening night, it will be playing on the 5th of October and Sunday, the 8th of October. Okay. Our closing night gala, The Kitchen. This one is directed by Kibi. Tavez and Daniel Kalua, written by Kalua and Joe Mortar. Right, it's starring Kane Robinson, Jediah Bannerman, Hope Ikpokui Jr., Taiji Cabs, and Demi Ladipu. Okay, so um, One Life, this one is directed by James Hawes. Written by Nick Drake and Lucinda Coxon, starring Anthony Hopkins, Johnny Flynn, Helena Bottomer Carter. All right, we have All of Us Strangers, which is directed by Andrew Ha. Uh, written oh, and he writes it as well. It's starring Andrew Scott, Paul Mascal, Jamie Bell, and Claire Foy. Okay. The Bike Riders is the new film from Jeff Nichols, who co-writes with Danny Lynn. It is starring Jodie Corner, Austin Butler, Tom Hardy, Michael Shannon, and Mike Feist. Um, the Book of Clarence. This, oh, I'm so looking forward to this. It's written and directed by the incredible James Samuel, who did Harder They Fall, right? I am starring a few of those cats as well. So we got Lakeith Stanfield, Omar Sy, RJ Cypher, James McAvoy, and Anna Diop. Um, Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget, is directed by Sam Fell, written by Kerry Kirkpatrick, John O'Farrell, and Rachel Tunard. We have The Holdovers, which is directed by Alexander Payne, written by David Hemmingson, starring Paul Gimotti, Divine Joy Rudolph, and Dominic Sessa. 
There is the killer witch people. It is the new David Fincher joint, written by Andrew Kevin Walker, starring Michael Fassbender, Arlise Howard, Charles Parnell, Sophie Charler, and Tilda Swinton. Killers of the Flower Moon. I mean, need I say more? Martin Scorsese writes, well, directs and co-writes with Eric Roth. It's starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, Lily Gladstone, and Jesse Plemons. We have Maestro, right? This one is directed by Bradley Cooper, who co-writes with Josh Singer. He also stars along with Carrie Mulligan, Matt Boomer, Maya Hawke, and Sarah Silverman. May, December is um, the new outing from Todd Haynes, written by Sani, Sammy Birch, starring Natalie Portman, Juliana Moore, and Charles Melton. Uh, Nyad, right? This is uh, directed by Elizabeth Cha Vashelli and Jimmy Chin. And oh, they're the duo behind Free Solo, right? It's written by Julia Cox, starring Annette Benning, Jodie Foster, and Reese Ifines. And Poor Things, right? This is the um, new film from. Yagos Lafimos, written by Tony McNama, uh, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, William Defoe, and Rami Youssef. Okay, so plenty to look forward to there. We have a um, number of themic strands, right, which the films are in, and you can search via um, that way if there's certain themes that you enjoy watching, right? So there is love. There is debate. We've got laugh. We had dare, thrill, cult, journey, create, experimenta, and a shorts program. Oh, as well as family. Can't forget family. Treasures, right, which are old films brought back. So there's the documentary strand. The LGBTQIA plus titles, um, UK titles, series, because they show there's a few TV series where episodes are being shown, right? And expanded, which uh, is looking very interesting. So along with this, we have special presentations, right? These have The Boy and the Heron. The new studio, Ghibli, Cobweb. Um, there's the BFI patron special presentation, The End We Start From. Okay, Fallen Leaves, Foe. Um, series special presentation, Grime Kids. Okay, that is from the writer of Rocks. Okay, Hitman, which, um, yeah. BFI Flair special presentation, housekeeping for beginners. There's less in disrebals, uh, memory, documentary special presentation, occupied city, the new Steve McQueen joint, right? Looking at the Holocaust. There is Priscilla, 
the new Sophie Capella, um, and the zone of interest. So, people, there is so much, so much to look forward to this festival, right? All the links are on the website, right? So go there and yeah, we will be covering it on Echo Chamber. So make sure you keep an eye out, right? Bookmark the um, YouTube page, you know, subscribe to the podcast, share with your peoples because we will have everything. The ticket links will be there, you know, and I will give you my honest opinions on everything that I get to see. So people, Mark it down, the 4th to the 15th of October, the 67th BFI London Film Festival. Yo, so that was great, man. Keith was such an interesting dude to talk to. We did have a little bit of an echo issue, so apologies for that, people. If I can try and get someone to clean it up. I will do that. But um, hopefully you could still enjoy everything Keith had to say. And, um, yeah, go check out the Winter House, right? Um, links are going to be on the website. So, uh, yeah, there you go, people. That's it for um, this week's Echo Chamber. If you haven't looked at part one, go look at that. We um, check out five films, what, Ballerina, The Puppet Man, um, boy, I mean, there's a few films, man. We, yeah, it's, oh, I can never, my mind is just like, ah, Dangerous Waters, that was there. Um, yeah, uh, five good films, people. So, um, that Haunted Mansion, obviously, right? So, boom, go check that out. Share with your peoples, and we'll see you say next week for normal echo chamber but we still have a couple more days i think two three more days of london film festival coverage so boy be sure to check that as well and next week echoes from the void will be back too so so much stuff people enjoy it and we'll see you next time peace